Hey, welcome. Uh, good to see you this morning. Good to see you that are watching online on all of our miniature campuses right today. Uh, those of you that were a little afraid to get off the front step. So glad that you're here today. You know, uh, a while ago, in January, there, December, January, toward the end of the year, we needed to sell our house in Riverview, and, and uh, it had an old roof on it, and it had things that needed to be fixed, and, and uh, those things were really a burden to me. And um, I have a friend, his name was Dennis Rosales, and Dennis, um, one night, I, I was telling him, do you know anybody that you think can help me? And Dennis said, well, I can help you. And Dennis, um, he came over and he saw to it, we got a new roof on our house. And Dennis came back and worked for hours and hours in the cold, making sure all the little things were fixed so that our house would pass city inspection. And Dennis got in his car with his wife, Shannon, today and drove over here there in the balcony. He doesn't want to be pointed out publicly, so I won't do that. Anyway, you get a chance uh, to thank Dennis. Lois and I are grateful for Dennis and Shannon, and, and we love them, and uh, had the privilege of baptizing Dennis and his wife and his beautiful two daughters in our uh, former church. And so uh, I just wanted to tell Dennis how thankful I am to you and Shannon for your family, for your friendship to us, and the whole church is indebted to you uh, for doing that, and we appreciate that very much. M many years ago, um, when the kids were small, we decided we needed a, a dog, a pet. And somebody in the church said, well, you know what you ought to do is you ought to get a, uh, you ought to get a beagle. Beagles are great for kids. They're small, they're dumb, you, you should get a beagle. And uh, so I said, okay, well, we'll get a s small, dumb beagle. And we went uh, on a trip on our day off. And we, were, we used to drive up through the Ohio Amish country. And so we were driving the back roads in the Ohio Amish country on that one Monday on our day off. And all the kids were in the car. And there was a sign in a little place called Bunker Hill. There was a sign by the road that said, Beagle Pups. There was an Amish guy there that was selling beagle pups so we stopped and we looked and sure enough there was an adorable little dumb beagle and uh, sold by this Amish man and we, so we gave him fifty dollars and we adopted that little uh, dog this adorable little beagle and we put him in the car and the kids were so happy and we said you know what shall we name him and well since he was Amish we, we thought maybe Schwarzentrooper or, or Miller but we decided on Yoder so we named our dog our dumb little beagle dog yoder the amish beagle and we took him home with us we lived out in the country and it was great having a beagle because he was you know they love to run with you you know they're always kind of hunting and so that little beagle would go with us on our full moon walks and he was just a little tiny dog and and the kids really loved him but something kind of sad happened and we had to move in town shortly after we got him a few months after we got him we had to move in town and then we had to do something with Yoder that you really probably should never do with a dog. And because we lived in a house in town, it was a nice house, but it was a small lot in town. We took one of those things you twist down into the ground and you put a chain on it. And we put little Yoder, the Amish beagle, on the end of a chain in the backyard. And we thought, well, the kids will go out and walk him. They'll go out and play with him. But you know, if you put a dog on a chain in the backyard, then they, they're kind of like keyed up when you go out there, and they would jump on the children. He would jump on the kids. They were small. They, would, they got so they would just go out in the backyard with his food and kind of toss it into the circle, you know, and then they would stay back, and every once in a while, he'd get off his chain and run frantically through the neighborhood, and you can just tell that's what he wanted to do, but he really lived his life in a circle of mud on the end of a chain, 
Now, we're talking about living a holy life, and, and, and what we're getting at here is that Satan wants you to live in a circle of mud, the mud of your own sound, the end of his chain. He wants you to be captive to him. He wants you to do what he wants you to do and not what God wants you to do. God wants you to experience the whole wide world of life, and he wants you to live in the circle of mud of your own sin on the end of his chain. He wants to own you. And there's a passage of Scripture that we're going to study today that is so practical and so powerful. It has embedded within it a very practical tool that can be used to craft a life of freedom off the chain, a holy life. And that passage is in Romans and chapter 6. We have to limit ourselves to one section of this, so we'll go from verse 16 of Romans 6 to the end of the chapter. And here's the structure the talk is going to take so you know kind of what's up today. We're going to walk through this passage briefly and show you four powerful things in this passage. And they're very practical things about how you can use the tool of obedience to craft a holy life about how obedience works in becoming more like Jesus and getting vices out of your life and getting virtues into your life. This, how does obedience work like that? And it four things in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 23. Then what I'd like to do is go out of that passage and show you four more brief passages of Scripture that confirm what that said and give us a little bit of detail about how that works. And I'd like to illustrate that for you so that you go, aha! I can do that. That can be, that, that's a way that I can craft a holy life. So to begin, let's just take our Bibles now and let's read from Romans and chapter 6. And let's begin in Romans chapter 6 and verse 15 and read to the end of the chapter. Then I'm going to show you four things. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, of, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now, in the same way, in other words, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. When you were the slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but say it, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. First thing I want you to see is this. This is what the scriptures teach in verses 16 through 18. Sin is habit forming. Sin is habit forming. Sin will own you. It will hook you to its chain so you can live in a circle of mud at the end of that chain, right? The, the mud of your own sin. Sin is habit forming. How many of you have experienced that yourself personally? Yes. How many of you are lying in church right now? Everybody else. Yeah. 
You're just lying in church. You're just, like, you're supposed to raise your hand when I ask you. No, of course, you, you were just slow, weren't you, with raising your hand. Yet we, all, we all know what it feels like to think, I'm going to indulge in this what seems like a bit of a harmless sin, and then to wake up one day and think, you know, I can't stop doing this. And now I'm in bondage to it. Uh, here's just one. There are many, many passages you know, that teach this. Here's one that comes to my mind. Listen to this. Titus chapter 3 is describing what it was like, you know, before we knew the Lord and we were like in bondage to sin. And then after we knew the Lord and he set us free from that. And here's what it says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 3. We ourselves were once foolish and disobedient. Get it? Disobedient. Remember that. We were foolish, and we were disobedient, and we were led astray, led astray, and we were slaves to various passions and pleasures. Ple- passions and pleasures seem like good things, but they're not when they enslave us, right? So we say, I'm going to indulge in this little pleasure, this little passion, and then now I'm enslaved to them, and we're led astray slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another, and then here's the good part. When the, when the kindness, when the, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not by works that we have done, but by regeneration through the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that's what happened when you came to know the Lord. You were set free from the bondage to sin. But sin is habit-forming. And that's why it says so there in verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness. So you obey the impulses of your flesh, and you will become a slave to the impulses of your flesh. They will own you, they will dictate your life to you. Say it with me, sin is habit-forming. Say it, sin is habit-forming. Now that's not the main point. He makes this point so he can get to a sweeter point about how to get off the chain of sin and out of that you know, circle of mud. And that's this. He makes that point to make this point. Holiness or obedience or sanctification is also habit-forming. So we know from verses 16, 17, 18 that sin is habit-forming. We know that from our own life. We know that from biblical examples. We know that from our painful personal experience. Sin is habit-forming. But now we know from the revelation of the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul written in Romans that obedience is also habit forming you can see this very clearly in verse 19 i love it you know verse 17 thanks be to god you were slaves of sin you've become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin you have become slaves to righteousness and this is the the key part i'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, in the same way, right, just as you did that, so now you present your members as slaves to righteousness, and this leads to what? This is the ESV I'm preaching from, the English Standard Version. It leads to sanctification, which is a word for holiness, or sinning less and being godly more. Less vices in your life, more virtues in your life. Holiness, righteousness, sanctification is habit-forming. If you can find somewhere within yourself the ability to obey, then you will be more likely to obey again. This seems so simple, it would be easy to overlook. But there's something more here we're going to point out in these other passages, but I'll tell you that now, and that is the impulse to obey comes from the Holy Spirit. 
One of the things the Holy Spirit does, his name is holy, and he is the person of the Godhead most at work in our sanctification. The scriptures teach that. The Holy Spirit helps us be holy by stimulating obedience, by by giving us impulses to obey. We all get them in the comic book characters. You know, you have a little devil on this shoulder. You have a little angel on this shoulder. Not really good theology, but it's something to think about. You know, it's like you have an impulse from the Holy Spirit to obey. And this is a powerful work of the Holy Spirit that sensitive Christians want to get used to recognizing that impulse is consistent with the Bible's teaching. That impulse would have good fruit. That impulse comes from God. And so you have an impulse from the world or the flesh or the devil. You especially have impulses all the time to, to, to indulge your flesh in something that's wrong. And if you obey that impulse, then it will own you. And it will be, your, your, your obedience to that will be habitual. You, you'll be a slave to your sin. You'll live in a circle of your own sin on the end of the devil's chain. And you'll do what he wants you to do. And that leads to shame and death. And by the way, that's the third thing. Sin is habit-forming. Obedience is also habit-forming. Habitual sin leads to shame and death. You see this in verses 20 and 21. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? You, you, you yield to sin, it becomes habitual, and then what do you get? You get shame, and it also says the end of those things is what? It's death. Sin, one of the reasons sin is bad is because it crushes a life out of everything in its path. We tend to think, well, I can indulge in this little sin and nobody's really going to know. It's not going to be a big deal. No, it's always going to lead to death. Sin leads to shame and death. And here's the fourth and, and, and most beautiful thing in the passage in, in the final two verses, in verses 22 and 23. It's, it teaches that habitual obedience leads to life and holiness. Habitual disobedience or habitual sin leads to shame and death. Habitual obedience, in other words, when you have an impulse from the Holy Spirit to obey, and by the way, the Holy Spirit lives in you, so you're possessed by the Holy Spirit. He's going to be faithful, right? Is the Spirit of God faithful? Yes, he'll be faithful to give you impulses to obey. When you obey those impulses to obey, then you're more likely to obey them again. And all of that leads to what? It leads to life, real life. If you want the answer to real life, it's like the Holy Spirit that, you know, God has given us life, gives us life His way. Learning to obey the impulses of the Holy Spirit is the way to life. And this is why it says this in verse 22, 20, uh, and, uh, 22 and 23. Now, but now that you have been set free from sin and you become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. Its end is eternal life because we know the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life that's eternal. So he gives us life. He gives us eternal life. He gives us abundant life. He gives us real life. How does that work? When we obey the impulses of the Holy Spirit, he empowers that. Now, here's a definition I want you to get in your mind. I think I have a slide on it. The next slide. Walking in the Spirit is habitually obeying the impulses of the Holy Spirit. The habitually part, though, is, is that corresponds with walking. You, you know this phrase is found in, it's going to be found later on. We'll see it in Romans 8. We'll see it again in Ephesians 5. You know, it's common in Scripture that Paul writes, walk in the Spirit or keep in step with the Spirit or live by the Spirit. But, but this definition, then, is based on that. 
walk in the Bible, it, it means something that you do continuously, all right? Like walking, you, you get that. So walking in the Spirit is habitually or repeatedly obeying the impulses of the Holy Spirit. Now, something else happens when the Holy Spirit gives you an impulse and you obey that impulse. He empowers that. Whether you feel it or not, or whether you recognize it or not, another thing he does is, and there, there are many scriptures, I won't take time, I'll share them some other day. Keep coming back every Sunday, never, never miss. And, and I'll share those passages. And the scripture talks about that often, that we have this sanctified human effort, but then God empowers that human effort. So it's, it's, it's rigorous human, sanctification requires hard, rigorous human effort. It's, it does. But hard, rigorous human effort alone will never yield holiness because it has to be in, in spot, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But we trust that he is empowering this act of obedience. And so yesterday there was, a, there was something I just didn't want to do. I just didn't want to do it. I didn't want to do it on Saturday at all. Nothing in me wanted to do this on Saturday. But I got to thinking about it and I had this kind of impulse that would be, well, that would be a loving thing to do. And that would please someone, which I won't name, but it was like Lois. Um, and, 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 and I just like the Lord was saying, you do that, even though that's not what you were, you know, and it was just a simple, she wanted me to run a little errand, and I thought, I want to do that on Monday. I do not want to do that on Saturday. And then I got to thinking, well, you know, how can I say I love you, but I just don't want to do anything for you? And so I... I sent her a text that said, tell me what you want from Lowe's, and I pr- literally, this is lame, but I left here and I prayed for a, an easy parking place so I wouldn't have to lo- walk a long way, and I wouldn't have to, you know, I had my brain on something else. I wanted to get that stuff, get it home. I believe I was being led of the Spirit. Now, how do I know that? Because it's consistent with the Bible. Love your wife, that's, that's what you're supposed to do. So if you're doing something loving for your wife, not so that you can brag about in church the next day, like I'm doing right now, but, but just because you, you're a Jesus follower, then you can count on that. Like that might have been the Spirit is not only going to inspire me to do that, He's going to give me the impulse to do that, and the fruit of that is going to be good. It's going to be good. The fruit of the Spirit is it's all a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. And that's the way He wants us to live. How do you live? Walking in the Spirit is habitually obeying the impulses of the Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that leads to what? The results of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So what? You can read that. Let's say it all together. You want to do that? Maybe it'll stick in your brain. I want you to get this. I'm going to actually keep preaching on this until I hear people saying it, because I think this will change your life. Walking, say it with me, would you? Walking in the Spirit is habitually obeying the impulses of the Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit, leading to the fruit of the Spirit. That's exciting. Well, you live that way, and you say, okay, you get up in the morning, you go, here I am, Lord. You can send me anywhere you want me to go tell me what you want me to do because i'm just uh i'm yours and if you give me an impulse if you're at work somewhere in my world i want to be at work with you in my world if you're doing something i want to participate with you in what you're doing if you're about blessing people i want to be blessing people if you're about warning people i want to be a part of it whatever you and so he gives you that impulse you obey it you can count on the fruit of that let me show you this very same truth in four other passages of scripture very briefly john 14 26 is one of them john uh, 14 26 this is uh, uh, the promise of jesus is making to his disciples and he says something that's just shocking 
He's like, do you like being with me? Yes, we love being with you. Well, I'm going away. No, we don't want you to go away. Well, I am, and it's going to be better for you. Can you imagine being one of his disciples, walking with Jesus through Capernaum and Bethsaida, and he's casting out demons, he's healing people, he's blessing people, he's teaching things that are just shockingly wonderful, he's feeding thousands of people with no McDonald's or Bob Evans, he's doing all that stuff, and, he, and, he, and then he says, now I'm going to die, they're going to crucify me, and, and I'm gonna, I'll see you afterward, then I'm going to go away, and it's going to be good for you. You're going to be like, no, it's not going to be good for me, for you to go away, I don't ever want you to go away. He's like, no, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit and he will be with you. He will actually be in each one of you, possessing each one of you continually. That's, it's going to be better. And he says many, many things there as he gives these promises in chapter 14 of John. But the one I want to point out to you is in John 14, 25. These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and, and catch this, Bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. You need to be reminded of what Jesus said. The ultimate truth of the universe are the things that Jesus uttered. And you, you, what you, the, you need to be reminded of what the one who made you said. And the Bible says that when he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell every believer, then while you're, while you're working there, you know, in the prison, or while you're working there at the drugstore, or uh, while you're there, you know, going to school, or when you're there with your wife in retirement, and you have your, your honey-do list, and the stuff that you want to do, and all of that, that the Spirit of God is living in you, and you can count on Him reminding you of the things of Jesus. And ladies, you know, when, when your husband does that irritating thing that he always does, and he's been doing it for decades, and he hasn't changed, you know, and you just think, I am going to give him a piece of my mind. And the Holy Spirit's going to go, please keep that piece of your mind to yourself for right now. That will not be good. He is not going to listen to you. And then you just like, he's going to warn you. No, he's going to say something like this. Remember the lady in Proverbs? The law of kindness was on her tongue. Be like her. Or your kids are doing something stupid. They're acting like their dad and they're doing stupid stuff. And so you're like, I am going to tell them. Then the Holy Spirit's going to say, do you want them to remember this for years? Do, they want, do you want them to have burned into their memory that scowl that's on your face and those ugly words that you're going to say? No, I want you to bake them cookies right now and listen to them. Husband's coming home and you're lining up stuff to tell that boy. You're going to have a few words with him. He needs, his mother didn't, somebody needs to straighten him up. You're in your mind all day. It's just going on in your mind. You think, hey, I'm going to tell him this. I'm going to tell him that. He, he could use some training. But then there's another little voice that says, don't do that. The law of kindness is on her tongue. You just tell the Lord, and you just love that man. Uh, ladies, I'm not saying there isn't a time you talk straight, right? The Spirit might tell you, tell the man right now, talk straight. might be from the Lord. I'm just saying, ladies, gentlemen, what would happen if we develop this sensitivity that we recognize the voice of the Spirit reminding us of what Jesus said, and then we realize, wait a minute, that's, that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He's telling me this. And He's going to empower my obedience, and there's going to be good fruit from this. Because walking in the Spirit is continually obeying or acting on the impulses of the Holy Spirit in the power of the Holy Spirit, which yields the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and you want that then you will not be living on the end of the devil's chain in a circle of mud made by your own sin.
you'll be living the life off the chain. That's exciting. That's just one passage. Let's, let's see a couple more. Um, a couple more here. Uh, here here's another. I, I love it. Go back to Romans. And, and, and I imposed into Romans 6 based on an understanding of Romans 8 because Romans 6 doesn't actually mention the Holy Spirit. It does mention in Romans 6, because the Holy Spirit comes up repeatedly in Romans 8 because that's the structure of the argument. So I read that back into Romans 6, right? And appropriately so. But what we're saying is these things that we said, you know, sin is habit-forming, obedience is habit-forming, sin leads to shame and death, obedience is to lead, leads to life and righteousness is because of what it says in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life has set you free off the chain off the chain you don't have to live in obedience to the devil Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us listen how can the righteous requirement of the law be fulfilled in us? Well, we have to walk not according to the flesh. This is in, you see it? It's in verse 4 of Romans 8. Who walk not according to the flesh, but what? See it? You see it? How can we obey the law of God in an appropriate way? By allowing the Holy Spirit to stimulate us to do good things, and then believing he's going to empower those things. He's actually going to continually pray and intercede for us while we're doing those things. And he's going to do other things too. And the, and the result of those is going to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in, in Romans. Now listen to this in, in, as I just read through this. Who walk, this is, I'm sorry, Romans 8 and verse 4. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Which is another way of saying if you're living according to the flesh, you're tuned, your radio frequency signals of your spirit are tuned to what the flesh is telling you to do. But if you set your mind on the spirit, you're like you're tuned to God and your heart is eagerly tuned to God. Tell me what you want me to do, Lord. Tell me when you want me to be quiet. Tell me when you want me to talk. You guide me. I'm, I'm your, you know, and this is why it says set the mind. Repeatedly in this passage, set your mind. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, to set the mind on the flesh is what? Death. To set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You see, it's repeating the argument of chapter 6. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It cannot. Because those who are in the flesh live on the end of the devil's chain in a circle of mud and cannot please God. You cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, <laughs> but you're in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ, Christ does not belong to him. He's not a Christian. If a Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. You want to come back to this passage over and over again, don't you? Because this is rich, and this is real, this is practical, this is like boots-on-the-ground reality in your life. How to have a stronger marriage, how to, have, how to be a better dad, how to be a better mom, how to be a, how to be a spirit-filled grandpa, how to be a godly man in the church, a godly lady that other people can look to for help and encouragement in such a dark, sad, broken, messed-up, screwed-up world. You can be that person 
the kind of person that people see Jesus in you when your mind is set on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh, and you get used to obeying. So it, to, practically speaking, what it might look like is you come up to this bit of sin that you're thinking of indulging in, and it could be like your appetite, and you're eating a lot of things that you know aren't really good for you, and they're not going to be good for your body, and you just say, you know what, I, I'm going to this once hear from the Lord that it wouldn't be good for me to eat half of that chocolate cake today. So I'm going to have, I'm going to brew a cup of coffee. I'm going to have a very tiny, reasonable piece of that. And then I'm going to stop. And then I'm going to indulge myself in Jesus a little bit. Then I'm going to turn on some praise music, or I'm going to go out and take a walk. I'm going to walk my dog and meet my neighbor and pray for my neighbor. I'm going to, what's the Spirit telling you to do? He is not telling you to eat a half a sheet of chocolate cake. He's just not telling you that. That's not from the Lord, right? Any more than it would be from the Lord. He's like, go get drunk. No, don't be drunk with wine. That leads to debauchery. Be filled with the Spirit. That's what it says. Ephesians 5.18. You see, so then you say, okay, this once, Lord, but I'll obey you. What he promises is if you yield to the impulse from the Spirit not to overeat, then what's going to happen is that, <laughs> what's going to happen is the next time it's gonna, there's going to be a little pattern there. That's what he says. That it becomes habitual, and he will empower that. And I, I, by the way, you look at me, you're going, he's a pretty big boy to be talking like that. And I would just say, I know the thrill of victory in this. I know the agony of defeat. Okay, so I'm in that on. I'll be open with you. But I do know what it's like to have a self-controlled life. I, I got up one morning years ago, cried out to the Lord for self-control. He gave me self-control. Lois, you saw this happen. I didn't need a fork full of food more than I should eat for six months. I lost 105 pounds. Yeah, yeah, you're saying, well, you need to go on that program again. I don't know, no. but, but I have never gone to the, I've never gone, you know, and so we have that, right? You know what it's like to, to have a period of obedience to the Lord, a period of sweet obedience, and a, and a period of uh, submission to God, and then to kind of have a setback, right? That's the world that we live in, this is, can happen. But that doesn't negate the power of the truth of it, that the scriptures say, if we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, then life comes from that. It might literally extend your life. And when, when you're, you know, you want to talk about somebody in a way that isn't right, and the Spirit says, why don't you pray for them right now? Since you're so insightful, why don't you just shut up and don't talk to somebody else and just keep that to yourself. And then when you get alone, why don't you just take them to God? And if you're so insightful about how irritating they are, why don't you tell God about that instead of putting a little Facebook post on it about that? Before we get on the old keyboard, we ought to go, Lord, would it please you? Would this edify your body? Right? Walking in the Spirit on Facebook. Um, and so, obedience. <laughs> these are just a couple of passages. Uh, and what's interesting is, is this. Uh, what's really interesting about this is that when you walk in the Spirit, this is supernatural stuff is going on. God is at work. Let me tell you a story that might help you see this. I had a cousin named Dave that I could not get to be interested in the things of the Lord. I begged, I pleaded, I coaxed, I bought him things, I took him places, and his mother, my aunt, would bring him to me like, please fix Dave, he's broken. Make him like Jesus. And I'm like, I gave him back. I cannot do this. Dave doesn't want to like Jesus. He wants to talk about sports all the time. Isn't this right, Lewis? And for years, he was my friend, and he talked about sports, but he never wanted to talk about Jesus. And then one day, I got an email from this guy, and he says, can you help me lead a Bible study? And it's my crazy cousin, Dave. And I'm like, what? I'm like, Dave, what makes you want to lead a Bible study? You know, you don't love God, care about God, care about the things of God, love the Bible. All you care about is sports. 
He goes, it's a long story. I'm like, I love stories. Tell me the story. He goes, okay. I work with this guy, and everybody hated him. The guy, my boss was a guy everybody hated. He was just a jerk all the time, and we all hated him. And then one day, he says, my boss went hiking on the Appalachian Trail, and when he was hiking on the Appalachian Trail, he's from South Bend, Indiana, he bumps into a pastor named Craig Clapper, who was the pastor of the Trinity Evangelical Free Church in South Bend, Indiana, down on Miami Road. He bumps into this guy on the Appalachian Trail. Now, this dude is a profane guy, not the pastor, the other guy. Profane dude. He meets this pastor, and the pastor says, man, we're from the same town. I think God must have put us together. You know how pastors do. And he says, you need to come and visit my church. And the guy goes, I'll do that. But he didn't do it. That's what people do, right? No, he didn't come. So down in southern Indiana, a few months later, Pastor Craig Clapper is hiking on a trail in southern Indiana, and I think he's sitting at the end of the trail, and out of the, out of the mouth of, of the, of, off the trail walks this same guy from South Bend, the bad guy. And the pastor says, dude, I think God put me here because you didn't keep your promise and come to my church. And the guy says, okay, 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 I'll come to your church. He goes to the Evangelical Free Church. He meets Jesus. It changes his life. He goes back to work acting like a Jesus follower guy, and my cousin Dave goes, I'm going to that guy's church. Dave went to his church, got right with the Lord, and he's still walking with the Lord today. I want to be the Craig Clapper guy in this story that is used of the Lord, that happens to be at the mouth of the trail at the right time because the Holy Spirit put me there, graciously inviting, and the kind of person with the testament. This is, what, this is, that, this is why it says to, to be spiritually minded is life because stuff happens like love, joy, peace. girl calls me on the phone, a couple days ago says to me dad how do you know when you're being led by the holy spirit how do you know when god told you to do something and i got all these fun stories i'd like to tell about when there was a, a clear confirmation that what god prompted me to do was god and it's like they're kind of goosebumps miraculous stories i kind of like them but i said to my daughter hope i said but hope what you need to realize is when you get an impulse that corresponds with the bible that's like this is true from the bible you're safe to obey that and to assume that you are walking in obedience to the Lord and the fruit of that is going to be evident. Now, I'm going to show you this in Galatians now. Take your Bible, look in Galatians, the, the final passage. You, you know this, and I can only just briefly refer to it, but in Galatians chapter 5, there's a section here from verse 16 to 25 of Galatians 5 that compares walking in the flesh and walking in the Spirit. And as a matter of fact, it, 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 it gives a little list of what it looks like to be in the flesh and a list of what it looks like to walk in the Spirit. Verse 16, Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of your flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to each other to keep from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are they're obvious they're evident and then it gives this like ugly list of the circle of mud on the end of the chain stuff right and then it says in verse 22 but so the the works of the flesh are what evident obvious like right you look and you go well, that dude is selfish mean lustful dishonest gossiping right it's like it's, you can just look yep yeah, that's 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 the, the flesh this the correspondence is that but the fruit of the spirit it doesn't say it, it's implied. It's also obvious. It, you see that here, in verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Hope 
calls and says, Dad, how do I know when God has led me? I said, you obey what the Bible teaches. In the, you believe the impulse came from the Holy Spirit, that the power comes from the Holy Spirit, and you will see that the result is going to look like this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if you don't get any spiritual goosebumps or any confirmation, which is kind of fun to get, you can still believe that God led you. Walking through the hospital one day, and I felt a nudge from the Lord to walk into the, a room of a person I didn't even know. You can get in kind of trouble doing this, but just a, I walked past the door, and I just saw a, a, a couple in there, and they just looked like they were troubled. They were in a hospital, and I just felt a nudge. Should I go in there? There's an African-American family in there. I stepped in. I said, I'm a pastor, and I'm up here calling on people from my church. I just wondered if there was anything I could do for you today. Could I pray for you? They said, will you like that? And so I said, okay, how can I pray for you? And I forget what they said, but it was about the infirmity there. So I prayed, and then I expected kind of like, you know, like maybe fireworks would go off, or they would all get saved and come to my church forever, or, or, or whatever, or maybe, you know. And they said, thank you. And I said, you're welcome. And I said, okay, well, bye. And they said, bye. And I left. And I was going to my car going, what was that all about? You know, why did you send me to do that? Did you send me to do that? Was I, did I have too much pizza last night? What was that? You know, I don't know, but it was a good thing. Uh, maybe when I get to heaven, somebody's going to come and go, hey, hey that, that's him. That's that white boy that came to us in a hospital. The crazy dude that walked in there and he asked him, remember, that's him, that's the guy. You know, and I'm like, yeah, that was God. I don't know, but I don't, if I don't have to see that, what I see is through the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control. That's the result I'm looking for. I can trust God that when I walk in the Spirit, that's the fruit that's going to be in my life. How sweet is that? I think it's beautiful. Yesterday, <laughs> one of our elders, we were meeting in the morning to pray. We, we meet every Saturday morning to pray with the elders. The first Sunday, Saturday of the month, we open that to all the men of the church. It's kind of a new thing we're doing. So if you're one of the men of the church, you want to pray with the elders, come with us on Saturday morning, 7, 7.30. But we meet every Saturday morning at 7.30, the elders pray. Yesterday was a sweet prayer meeting. We're in a little circle, and one of our elders... He said, and I asked his permission if I could tell you this. And he said, yes. Said I could use his name, but I'm not going to point Neil out. Um, and uh, Neil's praying, and, and Neil says, God, you know that without you, I'm just a self-centered jerk. And then all the other elders went, <laughs> they agreed. Not that Neil was a self-centered jerk. They agreed. That's like, yeah, me, me too. Me too. We all felt it. We all felt it in the room. Like, yeah, no, yeah. Like, me too, Lord. Here I am. A, I'm just a self-centered jerk. Without you? I'm just a self-centered jerk. Could you maybe put some of you on me so that I would have love and joy and peace? And I don't want to live in a, in a circle of the mud of my own sin on the end of the devil's chain. I want life. I want to be free. <laughs> One day, Kyle comes to me. He says, Dad, he goes, my oldest son, he's a little boy. He comes to me and he says, Dad, I don't want to live in town anymore. I want to live out in the country. And I said to him, well, it costs a lot of money to live out in the country. We'll probably never have a house out in the country. But if you tell God you want to live in the country and he wants you to live in the country, he can do that. Or a lot of times what God does is he, he makes you content to be where you are. So I said, just pray and the Lord will show you what he's going to do. <laughs> I went golfing with the guys in the church one Saturday and I came home and Kyle was up on the porch and he's waving a newspaper going, I found a place in the country. I found a place in the country. I'm like, well, I look at it and it says, you know, country house, five-year lease, $400 a month, dead-end road, free gas. The heat is free. 
It was owned by a guy named Dr. John Morgan, who was on the board at Grace Seminary in Winona Lake. When we got out there, he said, I want you guys to have this house. We're going to lease it to you. And he leased us that house with the free gas for $400 a month on the end of that dead-end road, and we took Yoder the Amish Beagle with us. And when we got there, we took the chain, we went click, and we set that little boy free. And my son says, what should I do with this? And I'm like, you should throw that chain away because we're not going to need that anymore. And little Yoder the Amish Beagle went running, ears flopping, all day, every day. He was the king of that farm. It was a creek that ran along the road back on the property. There was this creek, and Yoder would run back and dive into the creek. It was the cutest thing to see, just all four paws, just dive into that creek and swim. And then there was a bank of mint, and he would roll in that bank of mint. At the end of the day, I can still see it in my mind's eye, at the end of the day, there was the family, all that was gathered around, the kids were all real little back then, and we would gather that on the back porch at the end of the day, and the sun was going down, there would be a patch of sunlight on the back, and I remember little Yoda, the Amish Beagle, flopped over, belly up, just totally spent with joy, running that farm, free as a bird. Satan wants to crush you, destroy you, own you, enslave you he wants you to live your life in a circle of mud of your own sin on the end of his chain but you don't have to do that jesus came to set you free gave you his holy spirit within you if you walk in the spirit in obedience to the lord you can get off the devil's chain and live a life of freedom and obedience today we're going to sing together i'd like to ask you to stand so that we can we can end in a joyous song just expressing our joy to god in song and our need for him